It's good to be back with you guys. Um, thank you for letting Laura and I take a little bit of a vacation. Appreciate that. Um, it was great. And Rebecca, I, I love your heart. I, I just feel this punk rock spirit about you. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I love it. Um, I, I love your, your, your just heart for um, that Jesus would reign in everything. And so I appreciate you leading us in prayers like that. Um, yeah, and the Advent season is quickly approaching. My wife has been editing um, something we've been doing for, this is the third year, we do Advent devotionals. So if you're new with us, a, a lot of our creatives get together, and we call it Christmas in July. And we, we get together and we start planning the Christmas season uh, so we don't get overwhelmed. And, and that's when we start to divvy up the devotionals that um, some of your creatives uh, pour into. And so my wife has been editing those all weekend um, mine are definitely the best, so be on the lookout. For, just kidding. So, but we will hand those out at the first Sunday of Advent, and you could take it home, follow us on our Facebook, and we'll post them online as well. But it's kind of a rhythm to get us all together, um, going through the season together, um, and, and studying the same things, and like you said, awaiting our Savior to come and break through in this world. Uh, so be on the lookout for those in a few weeks. And the decorating party is really for you guys, because um, if you guys left it up to me to decorate this place, there would just be a lot of Tim Duncan posters <laughs> around. And so if you want this place to look awesome and not Ben and I to do it, uh, then come to that as well. Me and Ben will be eating that day and watching you guys work. <laughs> but um, with that said, we have... A, a, our, our senior pastor here from Shadow Hills uh, coming to share the word for us. I want to invite Brett Capacia, Pastor Brett, come on up. They saw that I had two weeks off of preaching and thought, why not give him a third? And so I just wanted to pray for you, brother, and uh, we're excited you. that you're here Thank and you. to lead us in this morning. Um, so pray with me, everyone. Father, it's, it's a blessing. Um, that you not only save us individually, but you save us corporately. Uh, you put us in the church together. And, and Father, for, for the city um, to give a, a heart to Shadow Hills that would reach all over the city, um, a heart for church planning, because that's the best way that neighborhoods get to know you, Father. And, and to be in the partnership and the brotherhood of Shadow Hills, Father, is a blessing. So I just want to lift up our senior pastor this morning. Uh, just... Be with him. Let it be your words that flow out of him. And let us just um, rejoice that we get to spend the morning in worship uh, with our brother as well. Uh, so bless Brett this morning and bless us as well. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Brother. Yeah. Good morning, everyone. It is so great to be at the hills downtown. If you have a Bible, grab it and turn to Romans 1. And we're once again going to be in Romans 1. We're camping out here across all of our campuses throughout the month of November. But as Greg said, my name is Brett. I know I have met many of you, but some of you I've not met before today. And uh, Shadow Hills Church, I, I know most of you know, and if you're a guest, maybe you don't know this, but Shadow Hills is one church in multiple locations. And so we have our campus in Summerlin, our campus here, the Hills downtown. Um, and then our North Campus, Liberate Church, meets in Shadow Ridge High School. We also have an Hispanic campus that meets uh, at our Summerlin campus, but it's a Spanish-speaking service. And so all of that makes up the body of Christ that is Shadow Hills here in Las Vegas. And so, uh, man, I've been to the campus several times, hung out with your pastors here, and had lunch and looked around. But it's my first time to be here on a Sunday, so I am psyched. And... Uh, 
we've already had church, right? I mean, we, we've been having church for several moments now with the incredible team leading us in worship and the time of prayer and all of that. And I didn't even think about this, Greg, until you said it, but I know your pastor is a big San Antonio Spurs fan. So um, it, it just hit my mind that so I'm a huge Boston Celtics fan. And so we've typically had a really hard time against San Antonio, but we blew them out yesterday, I think, actually. And it's so... It's a good thing I'm senior pastor here because if I wasn't, I would be kicked out of this building right now and would not be able to preach. And so I'm going to pull a little bit of rank, but I'm just going to say that I love Greg so much. Love Laura, love Ransom, Ben and Sarah and the family and um, man, just great leadership team here. And I could go on and on with all of your volunteer leadership and others that just step up. And so that's what makes the church the church. But we're going to continue in this series that we started last week. I think Pastor D was here last week, right? Damian Serencioni, our executive pastor at Summerlin, one of my best friends. I know did an amazing job talking about prayer. But it's this idea of heart for the house, which is really just a trendy way of saying I love my church, right? And, uh, but it's a cool way of saying it. But having a heart for the church. Paul had a heart for the church at Rome. And so I want us to back up to the beginning of Romans chapter 1. And we're going to look at the first 11 verses. And I'm going to read them. And if you would just follow along. The Bible says, From Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Of course, we know Paul wrote this letter. God chose me to be an apostle, and he appointed me to preach the good news that he promised long ago by what his prophets said in the Holy Scriptures. This good news is about his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as a human, he was from the family of David, but the Holy Spirit proved that Jesus is the powerful son of God because he was raised from the dead. Jesus was kind to me and chose me to be an apostle so that people of all nations would obey and have faith. You are some of those people chosen by Jesus Christ. This letter is to all of you in Rome. God loves you. He's chosen you to be his very own people. I pray that God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ will be kind to you and will bless you with peace. First, I thank God in the name of Jesus Christ for all of you. And I do this because people everywhere in the world are talking about your faith. God has seen how I never stop praying for you while I serve him with all of my heart and tell the good news about his son. In all my prayers, I ask God to make it possible for me to visit you. I want to see you. I want to share with you the same blessings that God's Spirit has given me. Can we pray one more time? Just ask God to bless the reading of his word. Father, we just want to come to you and thank you that we have a scripture that is, that is alive, that is ever, list, uh, ever living, everlasting. It is from days of old and it has always existed, but it's still relevant for today. And so, God, Lord, I pray that these words that Paul wrote directly to the church at Rome would be applied directly to the church in Las Vegas this morning at Shadow Hills as it's preached across all of our campuses. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the Apostle Paul writes this letter to the church in Rome. And in the very first chapter, the very first verses that we just read, if you notice, especially those last couple of verses, he expresses his strong desire to visit this church. He had not done so up to this point. He'd never been there, but he longs and he dreams of this time when he'll have this opportunity. He seems so excited. He he longs to be with them and share with them. Wants to be personally at this church. You see, Paul loved the church universal, but here specifically, he's saying, I've got a heart for the house of the church at Rome. 
If you know much, if you have any kind of church history at all, you've been in church a little bit, you know a little bit about the Apostle Paul before he became a Christian. He went by the name of Saul, and he was not only not a Christian, right? He was a hater of Christians. He was a persecutor and a killer of Christians, and now he is a lover of Christians, and that's what the gospel does, right? That's what the simple gospel of Jesus does. And so Paul loved the church universal, yes, but in particular here, he's expressing his affection for this specific body of believers at Rome. I want to say that like Paul, and I'm not purporting myself to be like Paul, all right, but, but similar to Paul's feeling I've got a heart for the church universal as well. My brother is a pastor in Arkansas. We started a church together about 25 years ago. He's still at that same church, and so church plants can, can live and they can grow. And so I just want to encourage our downtown Hills campus as we're in this season of growth and this season of excitement that, man, God is in this thing. Let's just stay in it for the long haul, right? So we planted this church like 25, 26 years ago. Again, he's still there at that church. But one thing my brother uh, uh, says that kind of stuck with me, and he says this a lot. He says, the Jesus in me can love the Jesus in you. So let's just decide right now, even though we don't know each other, we're going to love each other, right? Because we have Jesus. If you know the Lord today and you're sitting in this room, then the Jesus in me can love the Jesus in you. And so like Paul, I love the church universal, but also like Paul, I have a unique affection for this house. All right, for Shadow Hills, this is the church that God has planted me in. This is the church that God has called me to be a pastor in. This is, a, this is an expression of that church here at the hills downtown. So I've got a heart, a heart for the house universal, but I also uniquely have a heart for this house. Um, and I know many of you do as well. But this heart for the house that many of us have, and I can tell it because it's like, you know, whether it's out there by the refreshments or outside or in this room, the smiles, and I love the responsiveness of this crowd. This is awesome. And uh, I know that many of you have this same heart. But if we're honest, worldwide, outside of these walls, there's a lot of people that don't have a heart for the house, right? I mean, there's a lot of people that have little to no use for the church at all. Now, God willing, this doesn't make us angry. Hopefully, it doesn't even make us defensive, but what it ought to do is it ought to break our hearts. It ought to make us sad that there are so many that have little use for the church. Someone said that a lot of folks only have use for the church at four seasons of life. When someone is born, right? When someone is married, when someone is really sick, or when someone dies, <laughs> And someone in preacher just encapsulated it like this. It said, so when people are hatched, when they're matched, when they're scratched, and when they're snatched, all right? <laughs> Let's hook up, let the church hook us up, and we can use the building, we can use the pastor a little bit. Other than that, we're not really interested. Some of you may be surprised to hear, but probably most of us won't be surprised at this statistic, but really less than a third of Americans actually really attend church with any kind of regularity. And so there's many people that are unchurched, but there's a lot of people, and some of you are going to be able to relate to this, that are just de-churched. They've become detached from the church. They were born in church. Maybe they grew up in church. Maybe they went, went to church so many times, you know, growing up, I've heard people say, I was like born at the altar. You know what I mean? I just like grew up in church every single service. I was there two, three times a week. And then somewhere along the way, they got detached. They got uninterested in what people call organized religion. Why do you think this is true? Um, 
A lot of reasons, right? Some people say that I don't want to go down there to that church because all there is down there at that church is a bunch of hypocrites. Some of you hypocrites knew the answer to that, right? Good job. <laughs> and what I want to say to that is, is like, you're right. So, so, so just come join us and you can be one of the hypocrites. Like, we'll, we'll do life together, you know, in our brokenness. But the other part of that, again, makes me sad that people would feel that way about God's people at the church. Some people are convinced the church is just after their money. Um, some people think the church is boring or it's just become irrelevant. Others feel like maybe I, I just never could get connected. I couldn't get plugged in. I couldn't fit in. Whatever the reasons might be, the fact is that people, I'm not trying to be negative. I'm heading somewhere this morning, so stay with me. But the fact is, is that people in mass have left the church. All right, in large quantities have abandoned the church. Those are facts. These are also facts, big facts, as the kids like to say these days. All right, these are big. God loves the church. In fact, as well as that God loved the church, that he sent his son to die for the church. God, um, in spite of all of our flaws, and we got flaws, right? In spite of all of our flaws, God is building his church. I didn't say we were doing it. I said God is building his church. So God has a heart for the house. God has a heart for this house. And my prayer for all of us this morning is that we would have a heart for the house. Um, but not in an insider way. Because I feel like, I feel like in sometimes when we just say, I love my church, I love my church, it becomes like my church. You know what I mean? And it's like, you know, we have this club, we have this clique, we have this row, we have this group of people, we have this group. And all of that stuff is important. But we don't, we don't want to have a heart for the house simply in an insider way, but in an outward-focused way, when our heart would be that those outside this house would see in this place, through our lives, the grace and the love of Jesus. And so one of the things we do every other week at the Summerlin campus um, is we have what we call campus pastor meeting, right? And so all of our campus pastors get together. And so it's the, um, uh, the management team at Summerlin. So it's me and Pastor Damien. Some of you know Pastor Jacob. I know Pastor Rodney, I think, has preached here before from Liberate. So he, they're in that meeting. And then, of course, Pastors Greg and Ben, and then Pastor Raphael from our Hispanic. And we all get together every couple of weeks, and we strategize about a lot of, about a lot of things. And one of the things is the preaching schedule. And so we talk about, you know, what's the next series going to be? What, what direction should we go? What should this look like contextually in the different campuses and all that kind of stuff? And so in a recent meeting, we, we started looking at Romans 1. We started thinking about Paul's heart for the church. And so we identified four different reasons or expressions of Paul's heart for the church at Rome. And so we want to unpack those. And so Damien started last week talking about prayer, praying for the church, the idea of Jesus said, my house will be a house of prayer. And today I want to look at this idea of faith, what we believe, all right? I want to talk a little bit about the gospel. I know that's a popular subject here, right? Which is, it ought to be. Um, and so the, the title of the message you see is a church's reputation. And for this, I want us to look at verse eight, all right? Paul said, I thank God in the name of Jesus Christ for all of you. He's talking to the church, and I do this. I'm thankful for you because I love you because, and here's why. People everywhere in the world are talking about your faith. 
And so Paul was endeared to this specific church because of its reputation, all right? People were talking about it. And the amazing reputation that this church had was directly tied to this idea of faith. Now, we've already alluded to this, but a church's reputation will either encourage or discourage people from wanting to attend or engage. And so the goal of this message and, and really the goal of this series in some ways is that we would have, a, as the people of the hills collectively at all of our campuses, at all of our locations, that we will have a church that has a reputation of being a people and a place of great faith, like that we are known for what we stand for, for what we believe in, for what we are committed to. And this is one of the reasons that Paul loved the church. Now, what does that mean? Like, how do we break that down on an individual level? Because each individual part of this body of Christ at the hills downtown can have a part in this. Our church is only going to be known as a, great, a place of great faith as we individually are people of great faith. And so, but again, what does that look like? How do we get that kind of reputation? That sounds kind of pie in the sky. It doesn't sound super tangible. How can I apply this to my own life? How can we apply this to our own church? And so that's where your listening guide comes in. So if you got one of the bulletins and you want to scratch a few notes down, the first idea that I think we see is the substance of a church's faith. A church's reputation is built on the substance of its faith. Again, if you've grown up in church and when you hear substance and faith in the same sentence, you might think of Hebrews 11.1. 1. So I want to look at that. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance. This is the meat of who we are. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. So notice this, church, all right? So for by it, by what? By, by faith, the writer of Hebrews is saying. So for by faith, the elders, and, and this really, the elders are representative of the church, the elders obtained a good testimony, or we could say a good reputation. So reputation was built on faith. And by faith, we understand, and this is key, that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Now, one thing we can be sure of when it comes to Paul's assessment or his love for the church at Rome is that in order for the church's faith to literally be talked about all over the known world at that point, it had to have some substance to it. Like there had to be something about it, something remarkable, about, some, some meat on the bones in order for the whole world to be talking about it. And that's what he said in verse 8. People everywhere in the world are talking about your faith. Now the word faith in this verse is really talking about what this church believed, all right? What their doctrine was, how they handled the word of God. And if we're going to look like an authentic New Testament church, and that is the goal, all right? We're not trying to look like just some church in California or some church in Australia or some church in wherever. We're trying to look like the church of Jesus, amen? And so for that, we go back to the, the first century model, the New Testament church. And if we're going to look like an authentic New Testament church, then the foundation of our faith and of everything we do has to be the Bible. Okay, it has to be the word of God. And so at the Hills, one thing that I know that our teaching pastors are committed to, and, and we're not perfect at this, all right, and we need to be held accountable, but like where the Bible speaks, we speak. 
where the Bible doesn't speak, we don't speak so much, right? Because we don't want this thing to be built on our opinion, and it can easily, preachers have big opinions, right? A lot of times, and we all do. But where the Bible speaks, we speak. Where the Bible is silent, we are silent. The substance of our, our faith, again, is not opinion. It's not, it's not even style, right? It shouldn't be style and method. It's the word of God. So, again, what does this mean for us as individual believers in the body of Christ? So each of us as a person in this room need to have, ought to have, our own personal, intimate relationship with the Bible. Here's what's absolutely true. If every one of us will make it a priority to intentionally grow in our own experience, in our own individual experience with the Word of God, all right? This is not rocket science, but it's amazing science. The trajectory of this church will explode as its individual members are sitting in the Word or consistently meditating, memorizing, reading, getting in groups and studying the Word of God on a personal level. There was an older man who lived on a farm in the mountains of Kentucky uh, in a very primitive type of setting. He lived there with his little grandson. They were the only two people on the farm. Every morning, the older gentleman, the grandfather, would get in the Word of God. He would go to his old kitchen table. He would open up his old worn-out Bible, and he would read his Bible. His grandson wanted to be just like him. And uh, I think grandparents and grandkids have that. And how many of you have grandkids, all right? Uh, several of you do. So we have, a, we have three daughters, my wife Cindy and I. We have a 28-year-old um, who's married, no grandkids, all right, yet. Uh, and then we have a 26-year-old and a 21-year-old. And so we don't have any grandkids yet. We hear it's awesome. We're looking forward to it, but um, one of these days. So, but this grandson, like many grandkids, he wanted to be just like his grandfather. And so he told his grandfather at breakfast that morning, he said, Grandpa, I, I read my Bible just like you read your Bible. His grandfather seemed proud of that. And he said, but I don't understand what I'm reading. And so he said, what good does it do for me to read the Bible? And the grandfather who was putting some coal in an old stove, and that was the way that they heated this little cabin, as he was putting coal in the old stove, he took the basket of uh, the empty coal basket, and he gave it to his grandson. He said, take this down to the well and fill it up with water and come back. The little boy had no idea what the grandfather, what this had to do with, like, understanding the Bible, right? But he's, like, wanted to obey his grandfather, so he did. So he took the, the dirty coal basket, and he went down to the well, and he filled it up with water. He brought it back to the house, and by the time he got back to the house, there was no water left in the basket. Like it had all seeped through the stitching of the basket. And he said, this is not going to work, grandfather. He goes, no. He said, do it again. He said, go down there. He goes, this time run faster when you come back. And that way, you know. And so he did. He ran back and he filled the basket up again. And this time he ran as fast as he could. Well, this time, not only was the water seeping through the basket, but it was like tipping over the top of the basket. Again, it was empty. He said, this, this, I can't do this. He said, I can't go get water with a... A basket? I need a bucket. Grandfather said, I don't want a bucket. I want a basket. Go do it again. So he did. He came back again, and again, it was empty, and he looked at his grandfather, and he said, this is useless. He said, it's not useless. He said, look inside that coal basket. And when the little boy looked inside the coal basket again, he noticed something different about it. It was no longer dirty with coal, but it was completely clean. And the grandfather explained that this is what happens individually with you when you spend time consistently in the perfect, precious, personal word of God. 
It's that sometimes it, you know, it seems tiresome, it seems tedious, it seems like it's not doing any good, it seems like you keep pouring in, but you're not retaining anything. He said, no, but the word of God is cleaning you from the inside out. You don't always realize it. Many times you just feel like this is mundane or this is just methodical and whatever else. God's word is alive. Like it's doing a work whether or not we think we're doing a work or not. It's doing a work. And look, that's what the word of God's going to do to this church. As we preach it, as we teach it, as we love it, as we dig into it, as individual members, we are becoming clean from the inside out. This is our substance. This is who we are as a church. So, a reputation is based on our substance. Let me give you a second thing quickly. Um, the action of a church's faith. Because we remember in, in the book of James, right, what he said about if we say we have faith, but there's no action to show that faith, then that faith is dead. The old uh, King James Bible says dead. I think some of the translations say that. And the, basically the idea literally is, is that it's non-existent. Like a faith that has no action is not really faith. And so there certainly is the substance. There has to be that gospel that we are anchored to, that word of God that we believe. But then there is the action of the church's faith. Now, this is tied to this passage because when Paul said that, when he wrote to the church and he said, they, people all over the world are talking about your faith. Now, people all over the world weren't, weren't talking about the faith of the church of Rome because they were going, you know, on their side of the world to www.churchatrome.org, right? And downloading the amazing messages from Pastor Greg at the Church of Rome. And they're like, man, this dude's on fire, you know? And, uh, and they, they believe, no. Like, how did, they, how did they know what this church believed? Because there were some exploits, there were some action, there were some feet to what they believed. There was some ministry, right? They, the reputation was spread not simply because of the substance, but because what was happening as a result, people coming to know Jesus, this church reaching out and reaching its area, it gained this reputation of faith. And, and this is the idea is that we can believe right, and that, that sometimes isn't enough. So hold on for a second, all right? We can believe 100% right. Which, by the way, people that feel like they believe 100% right scare me a little bit, all right? That's a little narcissistic. Like, I don't think that I'll get a 100% no until I am fully known and know him. And, and one day when I'm with God forever, right, then I'm, oh, that was that, right? But I know this. I, I know who I have believed in, right? I know Jesus. I know we know how to know Jesus. We understand what the gospel is, but, but my point is we can, be one, we can be as right as we think we can be and still get it wrong when we don't have that heart and that head that leads to us reaching out and caring and loving, putting ourselves out there like our sister led us in today, like saying, I want to, my heart is feeling what the homeless are feeling. See, that's, that's a faith with substance that turns into some action, Right? We can believe right and still get it wrong. And how sad is that? So we need to be a church with a reputation of faith um, with some action. So we're, we're willing to get our hands dirty a little bit. And that's one of the things I love about this campus and a lot of the programs and ministries and things that go on here. Let's, let's roll up our sleeves a little bit. Let's just do life together um, for the sake of the gospel. I read this recently. Um, someone said when it's all said and, and done, 
God probably won't ask us what kind of clothes we had in our closet. He'll probably ask us maybe like, did we help clothe anyone who had no clothes in their closet? He's not going to ask us what neighborhood we lived in. All right? I don't think there's anything wrong with trying to pick up the right house or the right place to live. You know, saying, oh, well, it's going to be this school or there, there are these conveniences nearby and this is near the church and this is what, that's all great, right? But I think God's going to ask us more instead of like what neighborhood did you live in, but what kind of neighbor were you to your neighbors? Um, he's not going to ask us necessarily how many friends we had, but to how many people were we a true friend. So when we help people, when we care for people, when we just go out of our way to be kind to people, we're building this reputation. And by the way, it does mean something because Jesus means something, right? This is a reputation like we, we are the body. And so, um, but we're building this reputation that people say, hey, you ought to check out the hills downtown. They love people down there. They care for people down there. Um, and so one last thing. So there's the substance, there's the action, and then thirdly, the vision of a church's faith. The vision. So if the church at Rome had worldwide influence, I believe this was absolute proof that they obviously had worldwide vision. If they had worldwide influence, then they had worldwide vision. A simple definition of the word vision, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. But it's the ability to see and believe in more than meets the eye. I'm going to unpack this quickly, and I'm done in a couple of minutes. But to see and believe in more than meets the eye. Here's a prayer that I pray often as a senior, you know, pastor. Um, really more than that, and it's a team effort, but more than that, I guess, chief vision caster. Like, that's a big responsibility, right, um, for a church or for a ministry. And so a prayer that I pray often simply for all of you and for the people, all the people of our church and, and for our campus pastors is, God, give us a big faith. Give us a big vision to, to see beyond what we are experiencing now. Like to see people coming to know Jesus, to see people getting baptized, to see people coming up out of that water and walking in newness of life, to see the influence that we can have as a people impacting people around the world. Like we're going to unpack in strategy with your pastors here um, in the month of December, which is Missions Around the World Month, and we just kind of focus on that as a church. And we're putting together a brochure. We, we're gonna, we have some existing partnerships with people in Italy, but we're building out partnerships with uh, churches in Montreal. We also have an existing partnership in Mexico with Pastor Rafael of our Hispanic campus, but we're expanding that. We're going to have uh, a church that we're partnering with in Spain. And so all of these ways we're going to be unpacking in December, we're going to talk about ways that we can not only pray and not only give, but that we can go, that we can get engaged, like to have a big vision of what can we do, what can God use us to do to spread the gospel around the world. So that's a prayer that I pray. God, give us a big vision, give us a big faith of what can be done in this city and beyond, in and through the power of God. And then I pray this, God, give me the ability and give Greg and give Ben and give, like, give us the ability to communicate that vision. Because we can be all about it, and we can really believe that we have kind of received some things and some leading from the Lord, but if we can't get you fired up about it and get your heart invested in it, then, then 
we're not going to be effective. And so, um, so church, we got to think big. we got to dream some big dreams for God's glory. we got to see more than what's right here in front of us. And thank God for what's right here in front of us. But let's see more than that. Let's think big. I heard about a guy who um, was standing in front of a judge, and he was petitioning for a name change, right? His name changes. And the judge asked him, he said, well, what is your, what is your name currently? And he said, uh, William Stinks. You know, the judge, he didn't want to laugh out loud like some of you did, you know, but he's just thinking under his breath, like, well, I can see why the guy's here today. You know, that's a pretty rough name, William Stinks. And he's thinking this. And so he asked him, he said, what do you want to change your name to? He said, well, I'm looking at Robert Stinks. All right, so anyway, the point is, is that guy could have thought a little bit bigger, right? Like he had a good idea, like how to switch things up, but when you've got the chance and you're standing before the judge, maybe, maybe have a little bit bigger vision than that, you know? Um, and we, we, gotta, we gotta think a little bigger than that. You know, I think sometimes it's just like we see the exploits, and um, I know you guys sing this song here, but um, mountains are still being moved, like do you believe that when you sing like that song, this is a move, tears me up. Mountains are still being moved. Giants are still being slayed. Do you believe that? Bodies are still being raised. That's not just for the Pentecostals, amen, sister? Like that's, that's the Bible, right? I believe that. God, we believe it. And yes, we can see that wonders are still what you do. Like that's easy to sing, but do we really believe it? And so the response to that is, we are here for you. Come and do what you do. Like, don't make me, I don't need to be famous, God. That's going to do nothing. I mean, preachers and Christians are dropping like flies in the media and all this stuff, and it's just, it's heartbreaking, but, but so, it's so easy for it to become about us. So we are here for you. Come and do what you do. Like, that's a big vision, and, and this is a move. Um, and so uh, how do we think bigger? So quickly, learn from the past. You'll see these three little points if you have a bulletin. Learn from the past. This is how we think big, have big vision. So our church has a great history. Some of you are aware of it a little bit. Some of you aren't. Like, some of your history is, like, five weeks. That's awesome, Right? because you're building our future, but the church has a great history. It started as a, the Shadow Hill started as West Oakey Baptist Church. Some of you are familiar with that. Like when you say West Oakey to most people here, they're like, what are you talking about, some church in Oklahoma? You know, no, no. This is where Shadow Hill started on, on West Oakey Boulevard. And what a history. I mean, what great things God did through that church, through those people, through our longtime senior pastor, Michael Rochelle. Like we never want to forget what God did, number one, because it can encourage us, Right? I mean, your pastor right here, your campus pastor right here, it, you know, humanly speaking, is here because of West Oakey, because of Michael Rochelle, because of the history of our church. So we want to learn from the past. Secondly, we want to live in the present. I learn from the past what I'm determined to do. I want to learn from the past. I refuse to live in it. <laughs> I want to learn from the past. I want to be informed. I want to be motivated. I want to be instructed. Like, ooh, that didn't work. You know, that stunk. You know, that was awesome. But I don't want to live in the past. I want to live in the moment. Um, and there's more, more that I could say, but I'm going to move. Uh, and then lastly, look towards the future. 
So when we do this, I think we can have big vision. We're informed by the past. We learn from the past. We live in the present. We're not anxious about tomorrow. Jesus said, let tomorrow take care of the things of itself. But we look towards the future. And on that, I want us to just see and think about Mark, the gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verse 23. And Jesus said, if you are able to believe, all things are possible to the believer. All right? That's not prosperity preaching. That's New Testament Bible preaching. All right? All things are possible to the believer. When we believe this, that nothing is impossible with God, we find ourselves with this great vision. It's like, God can do this. God's got this. This is not about me. Thank God, right? Um, so when we wrap up, as we wrap up, let's remember that when it comes to, when we think about a church's reputation, um, it does mean something because of our faith. Uh, you know, it's what makes a church a church. A person that wants to join with the church and they have no idea what the church believes and they don't even ask, like, that scares me a little bit. That's why we have membership classes, right? Like, here's, you know, we totally want you to come every week and we totally want you to, you know, to give in the offering. <laughs> no, we, t- we, we want you to believe with us. Like, we are a group that believes some things together. And so because of the substance of our faith, because of the action of our faith, we want to be known for that, for rolling up our sleeves, for putting our faith to work, and for the vision of our faith, of what could God do? What could he do um, with this body of believers before he returns one day back to the earth? And he is coming back. Um, thank God for that. So um, could you stand with me? I want to pray for you. And if you would just, if you're able to stand this morning, let's stand together. And I want to invite the band to come up. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. But if you would bow your heads and close your eyes. And um, I want us to pray together. And if you're, if you're um, not a believer today, first of all, let me say this. I like to say this at our Summerlin campus, at all of our campuses. But, man, the Hills is a safe place to come and investigate what it would mean and what it would look like to really walk with Jesus. So if you're here today and maybe you're still figuring some of that out, that's so cool. Like, we are so glad that you're here. Maybe you say, I'm not really into the prayer thing. But as you bow your head and close your eyes, if you would let me, I want to pray for you. Like, it's cool if you don't want to pray this morning, and I get that. But I want to pray for you. But for many of you that are Christ followers, I want us to pray together. We're going to be praying individually, but also together that God would take this scripture and that it would be much more than just a talk, right? but it would be God's word to us. And so as we think about this idea of what we believe and, and the gospel, what is the gospel? The gospel, right, is the person and work of Jesus. That's the simplest and best definition that I know of. It's not Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Those are the gospels that write about the life of Christ. But the gospel is the person and work of Jesus. So it is who Jesus is and what he has done. That's the gospel. And so if you're here this morning and you've never put your full faith in the gospel, then we would love to talk to you about that this morning. Pastor Greg will be up front in a minute. Others that you can talk to about that. Maybe others of you, many of you in this room, like, man, to God be the glory. You, you understand the gospel. You've trusted in the gospel. But someone said that the gospel is not just the diving board into Christianity, but it is the entire pool that we jump in. Like, 
Maybe you feel like you're not walking in the truth of what you believe in as much as you'd like to see yourself doing. And you want to grow in that area. There's just some area. Maybe you're just walking through a super dark place and you need someone to pray for you. Maybe you have a family member or a friend that's walking through that place and you just want to tell one of our pastors or one of our leaders about that. I, I don't know what it is, but I know this. The people here love, they care. And, um, and so whoever you are, if it's your first time here or your, you know, 300th, uh, we would love for you to respond by coming forward for prayer if that's how God's talking to you. And maybe he just wants you to sing to him and cry out to him. I don't know, but whatever it is, I pray you would respond. Father.